when basic needs are a luxury and daily life is a nightmare. Having lost your homes and your loved ones, many feel there's nothing left but to pack your belongings and flee. This is the seventh episode of our podcast for the fall 2015 season put together by NYU students in Prague. And in this edition, we will be looking at the theme of refuge. The journey refugees have taken to arrive to Europe has been dangerous and often fatal. This year alone, thousands of people died trying to reach Europe. And even many of those who managed to get here face hostility and sometimes even hate. These refugees are primarily adult men who are fleeing from their war-torn countries, coming from places like Syria, Libya, and Afghanistan. This is known as the European Migrant Crisis. And sadly, these hundreds of thousands of refugees have not been warmly welcomed. Many countries are not only unwelcoming, but there is also an enormous sense of fear towards migrants and refugees. The wave of Islamophobia can be strongly felt here in the Czech Republic. In the next half an hour, we'll be hearing from a Syrian refugee, Czech locals, and individuals who have been involved in helping those who've made the momentous decision to flee their home. Welcome to Procast. I'm Andrew Chow. And I'm Mariana Mansoud. Thanks for joining us. This is a tragic era of violence for the Middle East and North Africa. And unfortunately, these wars show no sign of ending. Over four million people have now fled their home country of Syria in search of a new one. We sat down with a former Syrian refugee who has been living in the Czech Republic for the past three years. He's going to tell us about his experience and his life here today. He wishes to remain anonymous. He is a 37-year-old former customs official from Damascus. Since leaving his country, his sight deteriorated significantly and he's now looking for work here in the Czech Republic. I've been in Prague for two months, but in the Czech Republic for two years. It was circumstances that led me to Prague. After I applied for asylum, it wasn't up to me to decide where I would settle. I tried to live in Brno, because in Prague the integration process is far less extensive than Brno. But with my eyesight, it's been very difficult. I wanted to go to Sweden, not stay in the Czech Republic. I had a tourist visa in the Czech Republic. I came right at the beginning of the conflict when it was still possible to obtain a visa. I went to Sweden to apply for asylum, but according to the Dublin agreement, they sent me back here. A year ago, I applied for family reunification, so my mother, my wife and my children now live here with me. But I spent two years alone before that. My siblings with their families are still in Syria. After a lot of hard work, I managed to get into a centre that teaches physiotherapy for handicapped people. I'm working hard in the centre because after I graduate, I can work in the medical fields as a physiotherapist. I faced very little problems with the Czechs. They are very, very nice. But perhaps that's because I've started to learn the language. I've learned to integrate with people. And maybe it's also because most of the people aren't aware of what's really happening in Syria. They respect you once you start to learn the language or integrate. Would I go back to Syria? 
That's a hard question, because when I left, I lost almost everything. I was living in the suburbs of Damascus, and everything that I worked for in my life was lost in the war. Everyone we know is outside the country now. And now I've been here for three years, and my children are all in school. It's hard. However, if Syria does go back to the state that it was, if relations between people return to how they used to be, if we start loving each other again, even if I had all the money in the world, I would consider dropping it and going back. My children are young, which is a big obstacle for me. My children speak Arabic, but they don't know how to read or write it. They now read and write in Czech. Imagine 10 years from now if I tell them we have to go back to Syria. I hope the Czech people accept us as Syrian people and accept our circumstances and our reality that made us leave our country. The people that are coming now are not bad people. A lot of them are doctors, a lot of them are engineers and have professions. If they try to facilitate better integration processes, in the end they could help this country. They could do something for the Czech Republic and not be a problem for this country. One Syrian refugee who wished to remain anonymous speaking there to Procast. He, like millions of others, did not have the option of leaving his country with more than just the clothes on their back and the few possessions they were able to cram into a bag. The Czech Republic has been portrayed in the media as a nation that's fairly hostile toward Muslim refugees. But there are Czechs who want to help. A number of NGOs have been collecting donations of clothing and other necessities to help these asylum seekers. The Czech NGO Klinika, based in Prague's Zizhkov district, has hosted several collection drives for donations. And Prague's Ashley Sweeney went along to sample the atmosphere in one of their collecting centers. The loading docks in Prague's Zizhkov district are the temporary base for a donation drive for refugees. Volunteers sort through dozens of bags and boxes for winter clothes for the children, men, women, and infants facing an unfamiliarly cold European winter. The organization behind the drive, Clinica, is a collective running activist campaigns, a school, a cafe, and a shelter from their squat in a former lung clinic, hence the name Clinica. I spoke with Jan, a member of the collective. It started like, I don't know, like beginning of last month. We were kind of pissed off of the ra racism and xenophobia around in Czech. So we decided to do donations for detention centers centers in, in Czech. So we were collecting some stuff and one week we collected like two vans. We're okay, there is a lot of space, so we will do it again and more public. And in that time it came, we, we fooled like five, six rooms, something like that. We still have that stuff and we already sent like about 70 vans because like the solidarity was really really strong we were like in for 3 days we were really stuck in the in the donation process we were just okay you have this go there go there go there and yeah it was it was really great from that side that like there are not just races in Czech the best ways to help are by donating money or warm and durable clothes and shoes you can find collection centers online through resources like the UNHRC website Aneshka, for example, uses Facebook pages to find out when volunteers are needed at Clinica's donation drives and to aid refugees at train stations. Just one thing I want to say, because previously I said something which sounds like no one cares, actually, and people are mean here, which isn't, this isn't correct. A lot of people are mean. Uh, as, for example, at a train station, a lot of people say bad things to very very ugly stuff <laughs> but there's also 
a lot of people who are willing to help. People who just went by and gave you thousand crowns, two thousand crowns, stuff for the refugees, clothes, toys, stuff like that. Randomly at the train station, which is great. And a lot of people are cheering as well, so this, that's cool. <laughs> she says this because there's a lot of misinformation about hostility, who the refugees are, and why they are coming. The Czech mass media and government are mainly in the business of populist fear-mongering, which is why another in-name volunteer at the donation drive felt the need to clarify why he was there. I am really happy that, that I came here because I have a good feeling. I know that there is like, like rumors that it doesn't make any sense to help them, if they have enough clothes, but I think it's it's coming winter, and I think they will be definitely surprised because maybe in 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 southern uh, Europe there is uh, like quite warm still probably I don't know, but you know in in northern parts like here Germany the the, the winter is coming here, yeah? so it will be let's say quite cold yeah, and and I've heard that this 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 winter will be you know quite quite like hard. Everyone at the drive feels hopeful that the situation for refugees in the Czech Republic is improving and seeks to continue helping in the few avenues available for them to do so. For now, though, the push to aid refugees in the Czech Republic is led by unaffiliated volunteers. Ashley Sweeney reporting there. And Ashley also had the opportunity to travel to the Balkans to see where all those donated clothes and shoes ended up. We'll be hearing more from her in a couple of minutes. Behind NGOs like Klinika, there are passionate individuals who are devoting their time to help these refugees. We had the pleasure of speaking to Magda Faltova, director of the Association for Integration and Migration. She spoke to Prodcast about Czech public opinion, the challenges she faces, and her prediction for the future. The typical refugee would be a person from now from Ukraine or Cuba, a few people from Afghanistan, uh, Syria, Iran, and Iraq but mainly since the biggest migrant group in the Czech Republic are Ukrainians, uh, the community attracts people from Ukraine. Um, a term that's thrown around a lot when we're talking about migration issues today is xenophobia, and uh, your website also discusses that, how you do outreach to try and uh, work with people who experience this. So could you talk about what xenophobia is and how it relates to migration issues? I think that we have been watching the rise of xenophobia, it's mainly about the fear of the Czech people from migration and migrants. And uh, probably the cause of the situation is that the Czech Republic is a very white uh, <laughs> country uh, with the same people. There are few migrants and there are many people who have never met a Muslim. And I think that since 12 months ago, we didn't really have a huge... Uh, outbreaks of xenophobia and speeches or demonstrations, but the movement against Islam started to gain support and voices, and since then it's very present in even in the political discussions, and there are political parties who are taking this um, very populistic approach uh, and raising this kind of very dangerous atmosphere in the society. and. Our clients are affected by that. Uh, we are affected as, as people working in NGOs by hate mail and, and uh, Facebook statements and personal 
verbal attacks and so on. Um, do you have any predictions on migration trends, both in the near and distant future, or is it kind of impossible to predict? Well, I think that the number of refugees will grow. The situation in Syria is very difficult and it's not going to end soon. As well, the situation in the countries around Libya is is very uh, unstable. Uh, so if we are talking about refugees, I think that there will be more people coming to Europe in, in long term. In near future, it will decrease because the winter is coming and, and it's not possible to cross the borders. But I think that as well, the challenge is to open the legal channels of migration and uh, for Europe and to manage the migration flows uh, because the labor market and the societies need more people. Uh, and we are not able to attract those that we need and we are not able to help those who need it. So it's going to be a challenge and um, it's a, it should be a European response to that, which we don't really see. <laughs> What do you think is the most important thing for people who aren't aware about the refugee crisis to know about? Like uh, an important fact or opinion or statistic? Um, I think that we need to look at the numbers that Europe has 500 million uh, inhabitants and we are now talking about less than a million refugees, about 700,000. So it's not a huge number and Europe need workers, Europe needs people to fill in money into our social systems and we have capacities to accept people and we are one of among the richest countries in the world. So uh, we don't we don't have we don't have people, we have money and we have values to protect so we should help. We should know that uh, it's a that international law uh, provides the right to asylum and we should respect our obligations because once, maybe in future, we might need this right to asylum to protect us as well. Although there are individuals like Ms. Faltova who devote their time helping refugees, as she herself explained, opinion polls suggest that Czechs are overwhelmingly opposed to helping and particularly helping Muslim refugees. In the Czech Republic, a poll conducted in September suggested 94% of Czechs believe that the EU should return the refugees to their home countries, 32% believing that this should be done without any aid or refuge whatsoever. We stopped a few Czechs in the streets of Prague to see if this is really accurate, and this is what we found. So many people in Czech Republic are afraid of these people, but if you look somewhere around you, there uh, nobody, there are no problem with, with it. But uh, every, I mean, everyone uh, take it as a, as a problem. But I mean, the people uh, don't know nothing about about it. If the people are from the country where is war or some terrible things, uh, I mean, we must help them and. When the war is gone or the, the I don't know, epidemic is, is gone, we must help the people go back to, the, to, to his country. But if the people are from the only poor country and they wanted to help uh, to have a, a better life, I mean, I, I don't, don't want these people. But uh, if the people are from a from, uh, country where war is, I mean, we must help them. I think that the people to which they are coming they need to accept our rules and our way of life. If they want to live and work here, they should probably know something about that. 
I think that everybody thinks that we should help each other, but they need accept our rules. I think refugee is someone escaping from place where there is no longer a safety. So escaping from war, uh, natural disasters, whatever. So I would expect a refugee to stop at a first safe place or some place that you know they could wait until it gets uh, over that situation back where they are from. When they pass halfway across to Europe or even go all the way to Sweden, passing tens of safe countries, then apply for a permanent stay and then complain that they are getting not so much money as they expected and they have to work and it's too cold, sorry, but that they are just spoiled and they are economic migrants, not refugees. Just before 10 minutes I was with my uh, friend and we were talking about this and I said to him that uh, I have not decided because in one side there are refugees who, I don't know, it might be horrible to feel such a pain in their country and I think that how many percent of uh, people are I mean good and just want to be in better place but the opposite side there are percent of people who are I say evil and I am I am not decided if it's good to have them here you just can't say this part is good and this part is not some voices from the streets of Prague there suggesting the picture is perhaps a little more nuanced than presented in the media. As we said a little earlier, NYU Prague students and others were given the opportunity to offer practical help, and some traveled to the Balkans. Prague-cast Ashley Sweeney traveled with an aid convoy to the border crossing at Berkasovo, between Serbia and Croatia. This is her impression of what she saw. The few hundred meters before the Croatian border at Berkosovo flows and floods with waves of refugees, its tents often swollen. The palpable tension is punctuated by occasional cries of problem and police when someone is injured or a fight erupts, although the main violence is by border police, pulling refugees behind trees to beat them. Unaffiliated volunteers in neon vests shrug exasperatedly or mime tied hands to families begging them to alleviate the strain on the hundreds crammed inside the tents. Officers yell at families with small children or injured people seeking a place to stand or sit outside the tents. Refugees and volunteers try to maintain peace. Back away from what we call the front lines, the volunteers have a small area between tents where we pass out hot tea, offering food when possible. Next to the makeshift kitchen is another window filled with people asking for gloves, jackets, and shoes for themselves and their families. Volunteers run back and forth from the tent dubbed the warehouse, calling out what they seek as they enter, wading through the piles of clothes and shoes. Often, supply deficits restrict us to only giving shoes to the barefoot. There's a giddy triumph in running back to the barefoot refugees with their size shoe, waving them over my head like a trophy, calling out, Hida! Hida! We sweep away heaps of trash, weeding out shoes, jackets, and blankets salvageable enough to give to those without in the next wave. When the border shuts, people laugh and joke to lighten the severity of their situation, or try to sleep, bundled on the ground in dirty blankets. Volunteers wander the tents, joining the laughs, learning simple Arabic, seeing where they can help, asking questions. I join in singing happy birthday to a confused toddler as volunteers snap pictures of a family beaming behind a makeshift birthday cake. Among the Afghans, Iraqis, Kurds, Iranians, Pakistanis, Somalis, Ugandans, Palestinians, and Eritreans, 
I meet a Syrian man hoping to reach Norway. I ask what he wants when there. He replies, a life. He was a dentist in Syria, but he couldn't practice anymore. He couldn't live anymore. He doesn't care what he does in Norway, as long as he has a chance at life. People tell me of leaving their families and the new ones they've made, where they're going, where they're from, how and how long it took to get here. The shortest journey is 12 days, the longest, three months. Walking, four days of which spent standing waiting for papers in Greece. They thank me profusely for the simple work I do. They survived shooting and grenades and work camps and bombs. They endured all this before embarking on an only marginally less perilous journey. From all the stories about the refugees' plight, along with the countless monuments to atrocities in Europe, I expected Burkosovo to be heartbreaking. I am more struck by that which has propelled so many tired, malnourished, and near-broken bodies to where I met them in Burkosovo. Hope. Radiating through the tears and violence, ringing over the xenophobic and Islamophobic hysteria, there's hope. Because, quite simply, where there's life, there's hope. We hope this podcast has shed some light on the complex nature of the refugee crisis. We've been happy to bring you these real stories and give you a glimpse of the ongoing migrant crisis in the Czech Republic these past couple of months. We hope you join us next time. A special thanks to our editor, Rob Cameron, and the whole broadcast team, Luke DeLorso, Darby Cook, and Ashley Sweeney. Feel free to email us at nyuprodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the username Prodcast. I'm Andrew Chow. And I'm Rihanna Mansour. Thanks for listening to the broadcast.